0: back to the question (laughs) about uh being an ethnic minority it really for the first time in my life made me think about my race because i never saw that i always saw myself as like yeah you don't have as much as the other kids you know and like there were times where i know that i was treated a little bit differently growing up but i don't care man like because i see someone's humanity and it was a pretty naive way of growing up Mm -hmm. just like yo we people man we out here like my dad's not home like you know i i we have our own struggles. so right. i had no time to be thinking about like how was my positionality as a brown man in this social system? you know like, i don't yeah, yeah. i don't know like it doesn't matter but then when i went to watch Chong for the first time i just be like wow this is i'm in an elite school and i go home to a different reality than the next person beside me
1: all right everyone welcome to big switch uh, today we have a really, really special guest, uh, someone who we've known for quite a bit, uh, Subhash Nair. Am I pronouncing that correctly?
0: Subhash Nair, yeah, you Subhash got it.
1: Nair. Uh, Subhash Nair was part of the founding class at Yale and U.S. here, uh, the first class to ever come. Didn't even have a campus, barely had any <laughs> students. Uh, came here, spent four years here, Gradu- just graduated last year. mm mm-hmm. Uh, As a first class, and now he's pursuing a career in rap in Singapore. And how more interesting that can you get?
0: Not, not much more interesting. Not much more interesting.
1: (laughs) So, before we get to rap, I want to bring it all the way back. Sure. So, tell us a bit about how you started with basketball. Because I've played basketball with you, and I'm, I'll admit, I'm not a really good player, mm-hmm. but I think you are the most unguardable person <laughs> I've probably ever met. So tell wow. me, wh- when did you start?
0: That's a big call. Okay, what's, first of all, what's up, everybody? Hope you guys <laughs> are hearing this. You are having a good day. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for caring. Um, basketball. You know, I had a conversation with someone yesterday about how um, basketball and hip-hop music really raised me it, like I've learned so much through these endeavors it was one of those things where I mean I appreciate you That that's very kind of you you know like to, to say that um, but basketball for me taught me a lot of things that um, that I carry till this day even with when I think about music and how I record I still think about like the moments where you know i was practicing my left hand layup and like that that kind of idea of practice that no pressure no diamond kind of like mm. it's 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 really um imparted a lot of knowledge that i feel like i didn't learn in school or even at home and so for me um yeah it was just one of those things where i had a lot going on at home when i was a kid and it was a very safe space for me it was not safe actually i mean like it was i was a 13 14 year old kid playing with like 26, 27-year-old Filipino basketball players who would play in the weekends. And I'd just be the kid who showed up every day to practice when they wouldn't play. And then when they did play, I was just waiting on the sides till I got my chance. And
1: when I did, I just... Like, so how, how, how young did you start? When did you, you know pick up your first basketball?
0: I actually grew up kicking a sock around my house. I wanted to be... I wanted to play for Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> that was my dream, you know? always imagined, like, uh, coming out the tunnel to An- Anfield and, like, being a huge soccer player. But, um... But my dad didn't let me play soccer because he apparently thought basketball was a non-contact sport. And then (laughs) he let me, so he let me play. So I was at Newtown Secondary School, which is right Right. down the road. Right. And, um, I, yeah, he just told me, like, he just said, basketball's fine. So I played basketball and then we had a court downstairs. So that's when I started at 12 and Coach Elvin, who coaches on the Yale and U.S. basketball team now, he's been my coach since I was 12. So he's like a... He's been that elder brother, father figure kind of almost like just a mentor who is like, we don't have many mentors as men. I feel like in, in, in at least in my life, I don't. And so he's been that guy. He's been an amazing friend. You know.
1: right. and, and tell us a bit about uh, your achievements in basketball, because I'm as as I'm aware, mm. you were part you were with the uh, Singapore's national basketball team for a while. Right. right. So, so tell us a bit about you know how hard was it getting on that team? What did you do to prepare? How much did you practice all that stuff?
0: For me, there was never a benchmark of success to be on that team because it was easy. Like, honestly, it's not that hard to make, to be... It is This is a small pond at the end of the day. Like, even with rap music, I mean, I before before I even dropped my mixtape, there were already publications reaching out and I was on a list of, like, the top 30 releases they're anticipating and all that. So I think here, if you try to do something different and try... not, I'm not trying to do anything different, but if you just try to do something creative, if you have that kind of passion, I think people are going to see and listen. Um so for me playing basketball I was always the my success was always defined by uh being the my best self. And so if I would I'll be my biggest critic all the time and and coach would be on my case and coach knew how my play style but he would always just push me in that right direction but he knew that it was just about molding me and then I would do the rest. So um yeah, I mean with basketball, I played on the youth set. I was in the part of the youth setup for, since I was like 16. I was in the under-16, under-18, and then I got invited to the under-21 and then the the, the, the the bigger national squad. But then I stopped playing basketball when I came to Elon, U.S. Right. So I, I stopped playing basketball for Singapore around the time when I was in national service because then I, I played for SAFSA, the Singapore Armed Forces Sports Academy Association. Mm-hmm. And then uh, once I got done with that, when I decided to come, I mean, I didn't decide to come to Elon, U.S., Alithia and Ronald, I met them at open house one day, and they are for my class of t- in twenty seventeen. They were part of the gr- like round zero applicants, so they were like the first students who Yale in U.S. got. And then they were doing admissions, like kind of like recruiting. They were helping out with open house. I met them at open house, and Alita asked me, "Have you heard of Yale in U.S.?" And you know, this was me. Like I hated like the fact that I like I didn't want to go to college. Right. Like my I, my mom. Like, said Subhash, for my sake, would you like, you know, go check out the open house? So I walked from Kenridge MRT, that's where the open house started, until all the end here at Dover, where Newtown is, mm-hmm. right? I was like cussing it out, like, f- engineering, f- all this shit. Like, this is not who I am. I do not want to be on a bell curve. I, this is not my life. I don't want to be a part of this, like, system. Because uh, I didn't want to go to school for vocational training. I want to learn the pursuit of knowledge, pursuit of, like, understanding self. When I got out, Alethea was like, have you heard of in US? And I'm like, no, I have not. And then, so she brought me on a campus tour that turned out to be RC4 and it was the passion like again and this is also through like to my to my album. Like my first song is Block 101 Sunset mm-hmm. Way on this album. It is not me specifically describing the home and it's not affinity from the listener to that specific geography or place. It is that feeling that my grappling with a sense of home that is eventually what people are gonna identify with. And so for me it was that same idea that when Alithia and Ronald were bring me in this campus, it was their belief in something that was larger than themselves. It was the fact that yeah, we don't even have a physical campus, but these people are—they believe in something—and and I I'm attracted to passionate mm-hmm. people. Uh, so I believe bold dreams attract bold people, and they will. And, and the school attracted a certain type of like personality. And for me, that was very inspiring because in my growing up experience in the
1: education system here,
0: just you don't see people like that who are just so inspired. So
1: mm. I mean, once you got here, was it? I get that overall mission. Right. But weren't you kind of scared? You know, they're saying, we don't really have a campus yet. Uh, You'll be the first class. Were you, you seem like the kind of person who's okay with that being experimental, being new and fresh, but was there ever a point where maybe you or your parents were like, wait a second, you know, this isn't established. We don't know what will happen. Were you ever scared about that? No, not at all. Like, um,
0: people ask me that a lot. Like, what does your mom think? And like, I'm sure my mom thinks a lot about like, the well-being of her son and her daughter right but then like the way things work in my house it's we live like paycheck to paycheck so as long as the bills get paid as long as like you know we're all around and we all have each other and there's food on the table like these questions don't get discussed or asked also because i'm a first-gen college student i just like you know my sister also doing very she's a youtuber Mm. she's her own (laughs) she's (laughs) she's great right but um we don't have i believe all of us right now like my sister and i we are punching above our weight class we are like we're not supposed to be here so every day is a blessing and a privilege to me to have this uh because from how we grew up it's just it's a different kind of struggle in especially with this narrative of like what a singaporean lifestyle is or what it seems to be so for me i like to observe things rather than really think that i have I'm significant enough to like decide, you know, some decisions for myself. You know, I just like to observe and trust my gut and trust my experience from what I've done before. So for me, like there was no trepidation about something being completely new because that's what I liked. I don't like business as usual. I did not want that cookie cutter like kind of like pathway to to whatever I was gonna be. So this was really attractive because I could maybe define my experience for the first time in my life in terms of like the education I was going to receive. So yeah. And, and just, I also had to turn down a a scholarship to play college basketball in, in the States. There was a partial scholarship when I was before NS and my dad left my family like a week before my 18th birthday. And that was like about a few months before I went into NS. So my, honestly, I was going to like leave the country and go play basketball. And I, I would, I'd give up my at that point. I was willing to give up my Singapore citizenship like that. Um, I'd be, uh, yeah, just just because I was. I'm always driven by what I'm passionate about, and I would not do something if I didn't care. So,
1: so yeah. what made you not make that decision? My right? dad
0: leaving the family. Right, right. So he, when he left, I was like, no, nah, I can't leave you my mom stay, and right? sis. I have to stay. And besides, we didn't have money. I had like a little bit of savings, but I'd be the kind of guy who just be like put everything into it and just like, yeah, I'm out. And then like, I'm just gonna do it because I believe in it. And. Yeah, that's what drives me. It's like, it's 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 what I've experienced and what I want to achieve. Right. That's it. And same with any space, same with any um, moment, experience, relationship, right? I try my best and I fail all the time. But for me, um, if I'm going to play basketball, then I'm going to be the best basketball player that I can mm-hmm. be. And that's why that has motivated me all the time. Even today, like, I mean, I was like 15 minutes late for the interview and it's like, today my, my dog is like, really really sick and mm-hmm. one day I'm going to hear this and she'll probably not be around when I re- listen to this mm-hmm. interview but it's always just been about what lessons we can take and like today it was hard but it's been hard for the last few weeks but I'm learning how to say goodbye to a friend and it's I guess for me it's always been uh, not being comfortable I like I like discomfort mm-hmm. there is comfort in the discomfort for me and it always helps me grow and learn so yeah with basketball with life decisions it's always just been trusting that i don't have control being okay with not having control and just knowing that when i approach these issues i'm just coming from a place of compassion and trying to just leave the place a better better at a better state than when i entered it
1: so over these four years when did you start thinking hey maybe once i graduate i'm not gonna try to pursue you know a career in xyz that i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a mile and try try going into rap. when did you make the decision or did you know the whole time
0: now fifth of may last year so like it's been one year now since the decision was made for me. Uh, this was a much more clear-cut decision. I didn't like. I knew that I wasn't going to do a nine-to-five because I just I knew I'm I'm I, I was I'm not someone who works within a system to change the system. I think there's something incredibly flawed with our system and what the kind of dispatch a lot in in, in broad brush yep. calligraphy here, okay? But the dispassionate individual that is working to pay a loan to pay that's not me. I'd rather be broke and happy. Like I'd rather like I'm you know I just. I would rather do something that I'm passionate about, um, and so I just didn't find that aligning with this whole like corporate. And I say mm-hmm. that with you know corporate. Um, so lifestyle. so you can't
1: see it. You can't see air it. Air quotes. It's, air quotes. Yeah. Echoes
0: yeah. yeah. Corporate <laughs> like lifestyle. That's just not me. That's just, I didn't. I need to create. In my twenties, I in my thirties, I want to create because I. At the end of the day, I think there's there's a, uh, there's policies that need changing. There's a, uh, whole democracies that need revisiting, and to do that i was not going to have my spirit deadened within the, the system that i'm I'm trying to fight against and uh i'm always looking for that domino i think it was uh zizek who, who spoke about the domino effect and finding the right dominoes and applying your energies that way so for me it's about finding the dominoes where you can really change the system that you can put that effort in and then let people have that legs to take it to the next place and for me uh, when i was about i 'm an urban studies major jane thank you jane jacobs she 's the one who inspired me to be an urban studies major because I want to be like her she's she 's one of my heroes in my life mm-hmm. um, just the way she cares about people the human being that she is right but so Jane inspired me to do urban studies because I want to do that on a larger policy scale And i want to do that like so My i don 't want to be rapping at like thirty seven is my <laughs> I, once I'm 37, i 'm thirty seven i want i 'm going be done and I want to like have said everything I needed to say at that point. And then give back and build with what I've achieved through music, to build that go- to go into policy. I don't know, like the year, the world's gonna change in ten years, yeah. but I don't know how I'm gonna do that. But I'm gonna translate this music career into something that some something that I can't even see right now yet. But I just have faith that this is gonna be a meaningful life. So, mm-hmm. um, my music is very much tied to my 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 field of study. Like I did my capstone on like migrant workers post riots and the securitization mm-hmm. of space and so I've always been someone who just cares about place and cares about people in place so for me my music if if if, if you guys listen it's it's that's times i i, I drop, like the javons par. i'm i'm the javon's paradox eliminator that's an incredibly like urban study slash environmental like right. policy idea mm-hmm. but it is through music that we can broach these topics and get them mainstreamed and like get mm-hmm. people like, yo, I like this. This guy is rapping passionately right. about something. Right. Beats are sick. Right. Let's figure out what he's saying.
1: Right, so I actually just want to comment that you just posted something on Facebook uh, two days ago. There's that new song, and I'll, I'll show you how it's related, mm. by uh, Lil Uzi, Travis Scott, uh, and watch, Kanye Watch, watch. which uh, me and my friends agree is one of the wor- probably one of the worst songs. It was ever- Travis Scott's songs. All, oh, 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 um, all, time. <laughs> I mean, the lyrics are just, I mean, we can't, we can't, it's so bad, we can't even say it. Right. Um, but there's right. this one part where Kanye goes, "Um, uh, I got to get a new bartender or something because mm. you don't know the juice to vodka ratio. And that's a, that's literally the lyric. Right. And I just want to ask you, did, were you ever afraid that, you know, these kinds of songs that just have incredibly accessible, incredibly basic lyrics right. will be the stuff that people are willing to listen to. Whereas... You're right, like having lyrics that mean a lot more that people might need to Mm. go on, uh, I don't know, Rap Genius and search it up and then go find out. Were you ever afraid that that would turn people off when you were writing your music?
0: No, because I'm writing from, I'm writing my truth. And so like, I assume, of course, this is not true, but I assume that most people are writing from the same place. Mm -hmm. and. For me, I was disappointed in the song because Travis Scott, when he first came out, I mean, this is not a music podcast, but when Travis Scott first came out, he was experimenting with melodies, with hymns, with like, he was taking what Kid Cudi did and he was pushing it with autotune, with pitch correction. And and just the melodies of what he was doing on Birds and the Trap Mm -hmm. and all that, that was different. That Mm -hmm. was why I liked it. And the content might be very similar to what other people were singing about. Mm And the, the Migos are also underrated lyricists in their mixtape days, okay? Mm-hmm. They 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 have some puns and word plays, mm-hmm. like, especially take off, that's like incredible. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, it's very comfortable now. That was a very comfortable track. That was very uh formulaic of of Travis Scott, of Uzi, of, like, of of Kanye, who's always been pushing, you know, for something different. And I think now what he's doing right now, it's an art performance. It's on Twitter, it's a thread. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I was a little bit disappointed in that track. Mm-hmm. And that's so do I worry that at the end of the day, like there's a lot of noise mm-hmm. in, in, in the music industry. And I say music industry because it's a lot of noise that the corp, like the big corporations like push, that that put in front of us, that they want us to hear because it's the most palatable, uh, it's the most, um, like I guess it appeals to the lowest common denominator. Anybody can hear it and anybody's just going to have a bop. Uh, that's fine because I think today our music is at its most... Perhaps diverse, but it's it's open source. Anybody can grab a mic and rap. But does that mean everybody's a rapper? Not in my books. But then who am I to impose my standards of rap music on, on, on the entire genre, you know? I just want to lead by example. So my music is a little bit more marinated and it's also in a quiet taste. So I got to be patient with this. I got to be patient with my process and I got to be patient with how people are going to consume the music. Because I don't want people to hear it one time and just be like, Okay, yeah, cool, and then, like that's it you know, I, I want people to engage, I want people to like talk about things or think about things, and that's that's incredibly private so for me, I just if I can achieve those things, that would be great, but my rubric of success is always being true to self, right. so I don't like genuinely I'm an independent artist, I don't mean independent as in. I'm in just be independent of corporate interests, independent of like big money, you know, but not independent of my community.
1: So uh, going into this, mm. uh, because you just did your album launch party, uh, tons of people showed up. Mm. Uh, I wasn't there personally, but it sounded amazing. Everyone said that it was a great time. Uh, w- how do you get rid of the nerves? Were you nervous, jittery, you know, yeah. or were you confident? Just get up in there and kill it. No, I was
0: very nervous. I was incre- Like even I was actually more nervous. But if you're nervous, that means it means something. Like for me, I don't think, I don't attach like whether this is positive or negative. It just is. It's just, I'm just observing how I feel. It's one day I'm going to stand on stage and I'm going to feel like supremely confident. I'm going to do this like I do this in my sleep. And that's another type of like learning moment for me. That's another type of moment. But right now I am sh- I should be nervous. I need to be nervous because I have not done this before. Like this is like my debut album. Like it's my first show. I I. I'm glad I'm nervous. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, So, yeah, I was incredibly nervous, but I also told myself, yes, 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 this is all good, learning lesson, blah, blah, blah. But people are here because they want to hear something and you got to show up. This is your time. Again, going back to basketball, when you're at the free throw line, games on the line, it's muscle memory. So if you you fail to prepare, you're prepared to fail. So for me, it's like, I've, I've been here like for me and my producer is amazing in this because he has so much experience and even when we were in the midst of recording we we're in the last you know i wrote two of the songs on the album in the last two weeks before the album came out i finished two of the songs and that i yeah, so there was an incredible amount of pressure mm-hmm. but like i and two those two were the two of the best songs like the last two songs i feel like first world was written like the same month and mm-hmm. swearing in but he always told me subash the album's done already and this was months before, like when <laughs> they were still song ideas, he was like, the album's done, I see it. And I'm like, Fox, I see it too. But like, I've never done this before. So like this, I, it keeps me up till four every morning trying to like, you know, like think, write, think. And yeah, it 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 got done. And like, in the morning of the show, I realized that, hey, Subhash, this, the show's on Friday morning. I was like, it's already Saturday. We're done. Like, you know, it's all good. It's all chill. Like, I think we often attach so much There is like no now. You know, there's always what's to come and what has been. And for me, it's just understanding that these are all lessons right now that's going to put me towards future experiences. And what's most important is if I can just give the people in the room something they can remember... Something that's unique and special. Something that you can hear. The people who came to the show are gonna have a different experience listening to the album, mm-hmm. because they understand a little bit more about the, the 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 how the songs came about and what I was thinking. That's something that if someone's listening to the album in like Australia, they're not gonna be privy to. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was just create that atmosphere where people just feel connected to you. There's no stage. There's no. I only have to be on a stage so the people in the back can see me. Right. But like. Yeah, there's no like audience or crowd. It's all just people who, who want to be here because they didn't. They, uh, nobody got like a free ticket to be at the show. Like you know and I mean? Like, nobody's here like on a corporate like thing. They're either on guest list because like they, they literally helped on the album, yep. you know, or or everybody's here because they want to listen to what I've been working on. So it's like it's just friends, friends and family, and people I didn't know that I got to know before or after mm-hmm. the show.
1: Right, so uh, some people uh, have this issue with rap music where even though it might be progressive in terms of, you know, talking about race, talking about political structures, talking about class, um, generally one complaint about rap music uh, is that, you know, it's, uh, it's quite, it's to women, basically. Oh, yeah. That's quite offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, uh, and this is just me really being honest with you, I think some people have, have not complained about that as a part of your music entirely, mm. but that just there are specific songs where there are parts where they're saying, I don't think that's, offensive but i wouldn't be comfortable playing that while i'm just hanging out in my room for example so how 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 would you respond to that
0: i think it's an unfair standard that we place on rap music first of all uh because of course there's some music that's just absolutely like you know this is not okay like you know like like when rick ross said like uh, I put Molly in a drink and I abused her or something like that and then he dropped get dropped from Reebok like, for that line as he should like that's not okay like that's you consciously like you know like f***ing up like that's not good but what I'm saying is that I think we cannot hold rappers to a certain standard above other genres of music but on top of that we gotta look at this as why are these men speaking about that's like a double process of othering I feel when when especially when you look at like uh rap that's from America, rap that's from black voices, right, and then we're always just like, yo, you you know you can't uh you can't say something like um to the window to the wall to the set, drop down my balls, and yeah. all like you know it's like, yeah, but w- hold on." There has been a process, so many processes of othering that has othered that black male body, and there's so much violence that has been 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 put upon that body. And so for me, how I see it is that let's let's try to tackle that that process, and then let's find out why that person is speaking in a certain way about a black female, because I think that's that there's like a double layer of othering that's going on where it's like. As a black man, I'm not a black man, but as a black man, imagine like how, who can you speak, who can you other as a black man through your music? And that's the black woman. That's that's more interesting to unpack than like, oh, should we listen to this because the person uses this word? i rather think like, why is this like word Like the societal used? processes
1: that has led to. Yeah, right. I
0: feel that. And like, yeah, again, like rap music, we also, that's why I love Cardi B. That's why I love like, I love like the the female voices in rap now I mean it's always been like that when 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 uh, Kia saying my neck my back my pussy and my crack that's incredibly empowering
1: because it's going the other direction right but yeah. then
0: if you, but you see that's the same thing for for when a when when a black man's voice says that it's also it's also reclaiming a kind of power over something or over somebody. It may be I don't know whether it stems it could stem from an insecurity. It right. could stem from processes of marginalization and the everyday level of fear of of all of, of, so many things are going on. So there is that within that expression, it comes that reclaiming of a certain type of power. And that's something that I'm not privy to. And that's something mm-hmm. that I think when a rapper sits down and talks and discusses that or when rappers grow up, look at Jay-Z and look at what, what, look at what Jay-Z is talking about today. Right. It's so different. So for me, it's about the evolution as a rapper too. Evolution as a human being. And Jay-Z said, uh, yeah, Jay-Z said a, a lot of great things, but I think Jay-Z and also when, when Pooja, Nancy and, and Jessica Bellamy had mm-hmm. their show Thick Beats, uh, which I just watched, it really answered this question like, you know, how can you as a, as a woman listen to this music and still shake your butt to it and, and, and dance to it? And there's something about that Thick beat, you know, there's something about what the voices mean uh, and what what the voices represent so it's more than the lyrics it is the lyrics also of what they're saying but if we just look at them at face value then we're not we're doing a disservice because we're we're just we're just putting this away as oh this is rap music you know you can only say this much Mm -hmm. and so in my music i have a song that that i recorded with daniel like birds and birds also like it it starts from i got a whole flock a shoddy a biddy a baby a hoe and a thought and it goes into the last lines of of that, that that references Maya Angelou's poem about the cage the, I don't know what the cage it sings and it goes like these bars of rage really I'm the one cage foreign cars and porn stars. I'm a a slave. Mm-hmm. And it also it just boils down to the choose your khalifa, me or burge, what's the call investor splurge. It's a it's that conflict. It's that this is how I do see women sometimes. Like I do right. like sometimes I'm on the street and I undress women with my eyes and that's really f-ing up and i hope i don't want to do it but i'm my mind has been pornified right. you know i think that's a larger problem that that if i start speaking on these things maybe right. men will think a little right, because you're better. aware
1: of that in the right. song and
0: right? i mm-hmm. identify myself as a feminist mm-hmm. i do i am a feminist i'm very proud to be a feminist uh but and you can be a feminist and still think about these things but for me the fact that the the, the, the why i can be a better man is when i address those things and and I learn from the experiences that I've had and make better decisions. And, and it's forward. not an
1: offer on switch, right? You don't just decide one day, you know, right. I'm gonna fix that. It, it, is right. a, it is. a process, and I guess for you, part of it is making this music, rapping about it, sharing your thoughts.
0: Absolutely, and I think um, men have to be better at having these conversations. So, like, I I don't see a lot of men talking about porn. Right. I don't see men a lot of men talking about like how we even talk about women when no women are around that's right. why like it's for me i always like it's a scary it's, it's actually pretty intimidating when i'm in a room with only like a big room with or not this room don't worry but like when it's like only men or even when we have our basketball team like at the us is different but growing up in basketball teams and like different i play on many different teams and it's yep. always been like the way they talk about their girlfriends even is like man i wouldn't talk about that like to my about my mom like mm-hmm. you know and it's always been that uncomfortable mm-hmm. Or like even the use of the N-word in Singapore. like A right. lot of Chinese people use the N-word. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it it sucks. Because like, I feel like punching you, but it's more important to sit down and like, or if I, I can't sit down and talk to everybody, so I'm just going to be like, when I have a podcast or when I have a platform like mm-hmm. this, I'm just going to be like, yo, stop doing that, you right. know? So it's about like broaching these larger conversations mm-hmm. uh, that that I think that can be achieved through music. And so again... My if someone's gonna take the lyrics that they re- listen to in the larger hip hop like sphere, and if they listen to it at face value, then sure. And some people, there's only face value. Mm-hmm. Like you listen to something like Gucci Gang, yeah, I man, he's talking about a bunch of people with Gucci and just like you know ball out. But right. then that's fine. That's totally cool too. <laughs> that I'm never. I don't want. I don't like to count people's money. And I don't want like to tell people what they can do or should right. do to make money. That's just him responding to his times, mm-hmm. and I'm just saying. Um, for me, I'm just I just want to like portray that multiplicity of who I am and how I think about things, right. and maybe through this process of making music, I can come out of it as someone who, who has been engaged, who who can engage with people, mm-hmm. who um, who also just thinks even more deeply and profoundly about how to go about being a man, how to go about like you know coexisting right. with people, right. and how to just be a overall just like nice human being, like a kind human being. So uh, for me, it's that process.
1: All right, cool. All right, so Subash, just your last question. Uh, We ask all guests we have on the show this. uh, If you were trying to hide a giraffe from the government. A giraffe. A giraffe. A giraffe. Yeah, a full-sized adult giraffe (laughs) from the government, uh, from the Singaporean government, where would you put it? It it, Let's say it needs to stay alive. It needs to stay alive for like two days. Hmm.
0: (laughs) <laughs> okay, so i would hide it in the the cabinet, the mental cabinet, uh, that, that Mindef keeps all their commission of inquiry reports for all the deaths uh, of, of, of NS men, and I'll just poke holes in that cabinet and hope it stays alive, because they don't check there at all.
1: Cool. <laughs> Best hands we've had so far. All right, uh, do you want to give a little plug for your, uh, for your album? Yeah, so sh- keeping in mind that by the time we release this, it wouldn't have just been out, but mm. it, uh, this will probably get spread to a bunch of people who otherwise wouldn't listen to like my friends from Canada or right. other people yeah
0: all right shout out i'm sorry about the raptors guys but uh, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, raptors uh, <laughs> seven they'll be back
0: <laughs> but uh yeah so not a public assembly it dropped on 5th 5th of may it's my debut album bunch of themes if you want to figure out what's going on in singapore beyond the the the, the what the singapore tourism board tells you then just just listen to this album and like yeah these are uh, these are issues that like I care about, so it's it's my biased opinion of of of, of things in Singapore. So just check it out on Public Assembly's eight tracks, like thirty minutes runtime. So and uh, lyrics are on Genius, and so I'm on Instagram at Subash Music S U B H A S Music, and just hit me up there uh, wherever you're listening from.
1: All right, thanks. Great mm, to have you on. Yo,
0: thank you guys for having me. Appreciate you guys.